America now. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. Buck Sexton with America Now. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice. Buck Sexton. All right, everybody. Friday is here. Take a deep breath. Get excited. I know we've got a long weekend. It's going to be nice. It's going to be nice for everyone to have a a little extra time off. Uh, Assuming you have it off. If you don't, well... God bless and thank you for keeping everything going while the rest of us are uh, are off. Um, uh, i got a lot to talk to you about today. I mean, it's been a crazy week in the news cycle, as you no doubt, if you listen to this show, you certainly know, but you might have just picked it up from just being around. If you have if you have TV or internet access, you know that it's been it's been quite a week uh, of news um, from the, the the tragic to the the crazy to the humorous to the, I mean, it's just been all over the place. And uh, and in some ways, I think that's uh, the way we're going to be going on the show today. We're going to be dealing with some serious topics, then we're going to get into some uh, much lighter and, and more amusing uh, fare, especially as we prepare for our weekends together. Um, but first, I, I, well, let me give you a little sense of where we're going to go. Uh, I will talk to you about, uh, well, the... Uh, horrific uh, murder of Christians in Egypt. Uh, we'll also discuss uh, the New York Times stumbling over when to use they for a person. I'll talk about uh, 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 a piece by our friend Sarah Carter uh, where she says that there's some really terrible stuff going on in terms of the government spying. And I mean, this is, we're, we're getting into. Uh, major hearings on surveillance kind of stuff. I, th- this is, I, I don't want to give it away until uh, we get Sarah on the line later, but we've got her. And then also we'll talk about movies. Um, and uh, we'll, I'm not going to, we're not going to play action movie quote Friday yet because we're not taking them just yet, but it is action movie quote Friday because it's every Friday. Um, but we've got, so we've got a lot of different topics, a lot of flavors today on the show. And I'm just so, uh, uh, pleased and humbled and uh, thankful that you're all hanging out with me. So let's let's get to it with the Democrats' alternative reality. Some of you are probably familiar with a show from the early 2000s, The West Wing. And in that show, I there was a lot of the classic Aaron Sorkin, quick back and forth. No one speaks the way Aaron Sorkin dialogue makes people or makes people sound as when they speak um as i'm having trouble speaking apparently as a radio host but no one no one talks the way aaron sorkin's dialogue speaks and uh it's just lots of little clever quip uh, <laughs> clever quips pardon me back in uh back and forth but i didn't really understand the appeal of the show and even when i was someone uh, living in dc working for the government people told me oh it's so great i'll turn it on but then I realized a friend of mine told me, no, you don't get it. The West Wing is not just about a show. It's about an alternative reality. And I was like, wait, what do you, what do you mean by that? He's like, no, no, no. 
the West Wing allows liberals to turn on the TV during the Bush administration and see what the world would be like if a Democrat were in the White House. And you, you and then all of a sudden it made sense. I'm like, oh, OK, yeah, now we've got that's why uh, President Bartlett, I think was his name. I only watched like uh, maybe, I don't know, a dozen episodes. I never saw all of them. Uh, but this is why everyone loves this, this guy in this show so much, because it became a psychological place of refuge for progressives who just couldn't stand the fact that Al Gore lost and there was a Bush administration. I see a similar dynamic happening right now. Um, there's a, there's an alternative reality and I have to give credit, uh, to, um, Pruden, uh, who wrote a piece saying that there's also a, an alternative, uh, that Obama has attempted a government in exile. Uh, that was a, that was a piece that I, I read today that I thought was, uh, by Wesley Pruden. I thought that was amusing because I had been thinking for a couple of days here that, that there is a sense of all the pieces are in place. If you're a Democrat and you believe that all oh, impeachment and collusion and all this stuff is going to happen, the pieces are in place for it all just to ne- all to go away. All of a sudden, you'll have a Democrat presidency again. It'll be like Trump never even existed as a campaign, as a as a president. As a it'll, he'll he'll fade away. Everything will fade away. I know this is crazy talk. But you can start to see how this is coming together right now. Um, first of all, you have Obama, who who has been not the president for just a matter of months. And he, I played this clip yesterday, but but he was in Germany hanging out. Angela Merkel, Obama, I miss you so much. Where have you been? It's been months. This is Trump. He's like a Bavarian raider. I can't take it. It's terrible. Angela was like, I need to see Obama. Where is he? I'll invite him. Guten Tag. And Obama shows up and he gives a speech. And I mean, it's classic Obama in a whole bunch of ways. Let me just give you a little bit of what it was in case you missed yesterday. Here it is. If there are disruptions in these countries, if there's conflict, if there's bad governance, if there's war, if there's poverty in this new world that we live in, we can't isolate ourselves. We can't hide behind a wall. Uh, and I think it's very important for us to see those investments as part of our own well-being as well as uh, to the benefit of to the now look it's a free country Obama's now a private citizen I get that he's a but he is a private citizen by the way who is surrounded by a phalanx of taxpayer uh, funded security uh, you know he's taken over the better part of a block in DC um it, it does you do get the sense that it is a a setup similar to a government in exile would be right i mean obama's got all he's got all the communication stuff at the his home is a headquarters of a political movement everybody that's that is what's going on right now with president obama his home is the headquarters of the democrat political movement in this country right now his home which is a mansion of course in dc um and like i said i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this in a legal sense of course right he's completely allowed to do this he's allowed to go give speeches wherever he wants and i mean I know there's probably some former ethics rules for or some or ethics rules for former presidents but i mean come on who pays attention to that am i right uh but okay so obama's out there giving speeches i do think it's also interesting that 
there was so much anger in the media when Trump was going to be president and there was the allegation that he was undermining Obama's policy as he was uh, no longer going to be the president when there was that period where, you know, you had um, the president-elect not yet sworn in. And, and I understand that's a different dynamic. I'm not saying they're the same. I'm not pulling a mainstream media here and saying that, well, you know, Hillary raised money, Ivanka raised money. That's the same thing. Not true. And this is not the same thing. But does anyone think that it's it's helpful for the former president, the, the, the former president by just like a few months to go out and clearly take a swipe at the current president in this way? Now, it, it's not a question of right. He has a right to do it. I know that. But. It feels a little, it feels a little cheap. Um, George W. Now, granted, I think part of it was that he felt like he had been under siege and, and was beaten down by the media as a result of uh, what happened in, in Iraq and Afghanistan and you know everything that came after my life. He was beaten down by the media, no question. I mean, the guy was like a shell of himself towards the end. Um, but he stepped aside and and decided that he had served his country in the highest possible role in terms of government seniority and authority um you know uh, a, a private in the marines who's currently in you know helmand or uh, baghdad is taking a much greater risk than any president well any president in recent memory um but i'm trying in terms of seniority and power right the president's the top of the of the government food chain. Um, you'd think that maybe there would be some sense of let's not undermine the president. If we're the, if you're the former president and out of a sense of fair play, but no, 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 of course not. But it's not just Obama. You got Hillary Clinton out there as well. And that's right. John Kerry. Uh, they're out there. And Hillary. There you go. There she is. They're out there, too, all of them giving speeches, undermining the president, undermining the president. These people had their shot, so to speak. They served in the most senior capacities they ever will serve in the United States government. And I know they have free speech rights. And I know if I brought on some progressive, why why are you saying that they can't say it? I'm not saying that. But, you know, I don't want to be lectured on the one hand about how uh, Trump is undermining American institutions and then have the most senior figures of the previous government. I mean, we're going to talk about banana republics and what it's like in authoritarian dictatorships and all that. You got the most recent, most powerful figures of government saying that the current government is illegitimate, basically. That that seems to undermine to me. That seems to undermine. And it also comes from a sense that many Democrats have right now that there is an alternative reality there's a democrat alternative reality there's a a government in waiting right now for uh that portion of american that did not vote for trump um you've got hillary clinton giving this speech today and here's how she starts off i've heard that things didn't exactly go the way i planned (laughs) but you know what i'm doing okay I'm with her. Uh, so she was at Wellesley, an all-women's college in Massachusetts. Um, I know a few Wellesley ladies in my day. Uh, and uh, she was giving a speech there. But she also made some uh, not-so-subtle allusions to the current president. Like, oh, I don't know, this one. We were furious 
about the past presidential election <laughs> of a man whose presidency would eventually end in disgrace with his impeachment for obstruction of justice. <laughs> After firing the person running the investigation into him at the Department of Justice. I mean, taking, taking clear, uh, clear shots at the presidency. There's no question about it. Again, she's allowed to do it. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not a speech police person at all. I'm not pretending that she's not allowed. I just think it's not particularly classy. How about that? I think. I think it's not classy. Uh, certainly for the former president, for the former Secretary of State. Okay, a little more. A little more leeway. But you add it all together, and it's just so. It's just so cheap and flimsy and. Uh, self-indulgent for some of these politicos who have held high office to go out there and just pile on to the Trump, uh, the Trump hatred, tell the next generation how terrible Trump is. Uh, you had John Kerry at Harvard, uh, who who really took the, the, the cheapest shot of all. I've been asked, what is the secret to having a real impact on government? Well, it's recently changed. I used to say either run for office or get a degree from the Harvard Kennedy School. With this White House, I'd say buy Rosetta Stone and learn Russian. That's a former Secretary of State who's calling the president a traitor, really. I mean, he's making a joke, I know, but the joke, there's a lot of truth behind the joke in the minds of Democrats. This is unseemly weak and pathetic stuff from the leaders of the democrat party right now barack obama hillary clinton john Kerry is not really a leader of much of anything but i mean you know sure this tells us a lot about their mentality but it also tells us that they are creating for themselves an alternative reality in which they do not even have to engage with the current presidency the current presidency is illegitimate it was stolen it came through russia collusion and it will end it will end soon and it will end with democrat victory and uh, a, a sweeping change in policies across the nation this is what is being fed i know not to you listening to this show but there's a steady diet of this being fed to people in major cities across the country in every form of media and from the leaders of the democrat party it is dangerous to indulge this democrat alternative reality but that is exactly what they are doing they are not making them deal with the facts as they are they are pretending that this will all just go away soon it's like president bartlett you don't have to look at what President Bush is saying, who's the actual president. You can watch The West Wing and see what President Bartlett has to say about a current event, a.k.a. Martin Sheen. <sighs> so that is the Democrats' alternative reality. Oh, wait, it's Action Movie Quote Friday. Can we hit that real quick? Do we have time? Hold on. We can kill it. Movie. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Quote free your mind. Fridays. Action movie quote Fridays. And Bob in Virginia, WKCI, what's up? Hey, thank you. Uh, I'm just saying this uh, left-wing baloney that's just coming out on uh, the president and the Democrats' usual propaganda. 
propaganda is just going to make uh, us uh, people who voted for him stronger. I mean, I'm not stupid. I'm not illiterate. I understand what's going on. It doesn't take a, an Einstein to figure this out. You know, let them have their baloney. Let them waste more money on, from the taxpayers for all this garbage. And in the end, when it all blows back at them, when the uh, unmasking and all that other stuff comes out, we'll see the real heathens here. And uh, I'm just going to fight on. I like your attitude, Bob. You're a Shields High kind of guy. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, man. Uh, good to talk to you. Have a great weekend. Team, phone's open, 844-900-BUCK. Um, I want to talk to you about this this bizarre story. I guess they were running light on the conjecture and uh, theoretical stories about Russia and Trump. I, this one I have to talk to you about a little bit. They're saying there was a doctored memo that Comey knew was doctored but acted on any... I mean, this is some bizarro land stuff. And you're probably like, Buck, what? And I'm like, oh, I will tell you. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Gianforte's victory and Comey's bizarre actions. Two things I want to hit on now. Uh, First... It became a story that was much bigger than it would have otherwise been because Greg Gianforte, uh, and which is a fun name to say, Gianforte, hey, buongiorno, Gianforte. Uh, but Greg Gianforte has, I, I'm an opera fan, so, you know, I like uh, I like the theatrics of the uh, Italian language. Um, Gianforte was in this special election because there's an open house seat. Because the, uh, I keep saying that, I'm sorry about this, guys. You know what's something that's stuck in your head? I keep wanting to say uh, Minister of the Interior, when I mean Interior Interior Secretary Zinke. Um, the Minister the minister of the Interior, Mr. Zinke. Um, but no, he's the uh, Secretary of the Interior, um, which is kind of like the Minister of the Interior. So, but we don't have a parliamentary system here and we don't use Minister. All right. Well, we use Minister, but for a different kind of stuff. So John Forte was, uh, am I allowed to say it that was it, is it John Forte or is it John Forte? Whatever. Uh, side note, you know, people, I've had people actually correct me before because very pretentious, terrible people that you wouldn't want to hang out with. When I say Notre Dame, they're like, well, you know, it's actually Notre Dame. I'm like, well, the cathedral in Paris is Notre Dame, but the school is in fact Notre Dame. I mean, it's not Notre Dame, but we change it around. The school is called Notre Dame. Uh, so I don't know if, if we go with uh, an Americanized John Fort or if we go with Jean Forte. I think it's Jean Forte. Um, but anyway, uh, so he he wrestled the reporter or alleged allegedly allegedly, which is important. I should note. You know, people are all saying, "How could anyone vote for this guy?" I don't know. I didn't see a video. I heard the audio. We played it yesterday. And uh, I, I don't like I don't like anybody laying hands on on somebody else. And I did see an interesting thread and i'm sorry i can't think off the top of my head who wrote it i feel like a journalist just we just spend all day on twitter now we're just we're like characters in the matrix except it's not cool we don't actually learn karate and try to defeat evil we just are all stuck in this digital world all day of twitter that's what journalists do now i'm not a journalist but you know what i mean same idea um somebody was writing and i, I thought about this too um that you know f- physical violence people who have seen a fight or have been in a fight or have been around fights know that it's really bad you know there's a little side of our culture still that's kind of like sometimes you just 
You know, you got to punch the bully in the face. And yeah, when you're a kid, you know, you do that and, you know, so you need to stand up for yourself sometimes if someone's physically threatening you, of course. But I've also seen the other side of it where people get a little bit of beer muscles going on in a bar fight situation or, uh, you know, a scuffle outside of a, of a party. And once people become adults, you know, punches lead to uh, broken occipital bones and uh, can even result in, you know, blindness in one eye, can result in serious uh, concussions. Uh, people can fall down, hit their head and die. In fact, I knew somebody who was on a uh, on jury selection for a case here in New York City where a woman was standing to hold a parking spot and someone came dra- drove by. And this is something that, look, New York City parking stuff. I parked a car on the streets. I parked that's I parked a wood panel station wagon on the streets in New York City for an entire summer. And it was it was a traumatizing experience uh, because it's so expensive and so uh, tense on the streets. It's very little park. Anyway, you're bored by my parking story, except for the, the, the other part of it where the fight happens is why I'm telling you about it. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. This woman was standing there trying to hold a parking spot and a guy came along, said, get out of it. And there was an altercation. He punched her, which, first of all. One thing is, I feel this should be taught in schools. It was taught to me by my dad, who's a a real man, God bless him, uh, when I was a little kid. From a very young age, I remember telling me, you just never lay a hand on a woman ever. Just ever, 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 ever. Um, and so that's that's something that should be, but I, I feel like these days, they would only say, oh, well, it's just violence that we should be opposed to. There's something specific, actually. There's something specifically and egregiously wrong beyond just the violence, beyond just violence of someone, of a, of a man hitting a woman. Um, but anyway, uh, but yeah, he hit her and she fell and died. Uh, she hit her head on the, on the concrete and died. So fighting is not something that, you know, I, I saw a lot of stuff on. And look, I know this was a guy in an office and it, he wasn't going to really seriously hurt him, I don't think. And I don't know what really happened. And. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see it, right? So I don't know. So there's that. I had a couple of thoughts about this. On the one hand, I feel like he's not guilty of anything yet. Um, he won, by the way. I haven't even said that yet. John Forte won the election. So he won the special election for Zinke's seat, congressional seat in Montana. He won. Um, I do think that people should have the presumption of innocence, although that's a legal term. That's not really a perception term. And voting turns on perception, not on the legalities necessarily of the incident, right? You know, people could say people could have an audio tape of you being a jerk before an election and decide they're not going to vote for you, even if you are provoked in some way beforehand. It doesn't really matter. It's a perception thing, not a a legal when people are bringing up the oh, there's a presumption of innocence. That's a legal term anyway. Um, but also on, on the violence side of things there, we, we do have this idea we see in a lot of movies, you know, the good guy. You know, the good guy's on a date and like the bully comes over and the good guy just like punches the bad guy and he falls down and hits his head, you know, even in like a romantic comedy or something. You know, a strong, able-bodied male punches somebody in the face and, and connects. Usually people, thankfully, don't really connect in fights. I'm sure those of you who have seen your fair share, I've seen a, my fair share of fights. Um, it usually turns into some version of, of grappling and, and, and haymakers that don't actually hit. But if somebody actually lands a clean shot, it's, it can be devastating. Uh, and it's usually the fight is over and a lot more than that can be over depending on the circumstances. So, so violence is really bad and violence against a reporter is, is not to be in any way mitigated or condoned. And I I was disappointed to see people that were that have big followings and a lot of support out there uh, on the right who are saying yeah that's right reporters you know deserve it it's like no guys we don't we don't do that 
I, I, I firmly disagree with the notion that because somebody's maybe he was being a sniveling little punk. I don't know. I was, you know, the reporter. I don't know. I wasn't there. But it doesn't matter. I don't care. You, you, you can't lay hands on on somebody. And uh, anyway, so John Forte won. Greg John Forte won his congressional seat, which is an interesting political story uh, because it's um, it means that they have not the Democrats keep. There, there's all this focus on the special elections, and I think they were excited about this because now maybe this was going to be the Democrats hit the outrage machinery into high gear because they thought this was going to be the special election that finally they could point to and say, oh, see, we we uh, we won this one. They've talked about all these other ones. They keep losing, right? They lost that one in it, or I guess it's in a runoff. Crap, I'm forgetting that. But anyway, they haven't won one yet. Um, So they haven't won a special election and this was going to be, it's a, you know, a pretty safe red seat in Montana. They figured it was, and then all of a sudden it was looked like it might be close. But Democrats haven't won a special election yet, which is interesting because if you believe the media, all we've seen is one long slew of uh, Trump mistakes, Trump blunders, Trump's the worst, Trump's a traitor, Trump's so bad, blah, blah. Uh, but when there's an opportunity for people in different districts, at least for congressional seats in this country to vote, Republicans are still winning. Now, I know that people tend to like their their, their politician, their member of Congress, even if they're upset with the party or upset with the president. I, I get that. But you'd think that if there had been such a public mindset shift, if there were such a great repudiation of Donald Trump and the Republicans, then wouldn't the Democrats like pick up one of these special elections? I mean, I'm not trying to, I mean, I am kind of making light of it, but I really shouldn't because, you know, no violence, violence bad, you know, unless justified for self-defense or other purposes, but you know, no, no violence because you think someone's annoying. Uh, but we're at the point now where the Democrats are saying Trump's about to get impeached. The Republican Party is in a state of slow moving collapse. Meanwhile, Republicans can body slam reporters and still win elections. So there's that. Just putting that out there. Uh, I, I said I would talk about this this Comey memo thing that CNN's got, which is bizarre, and I will. We've also got Sarah Carter joining us later, assuming she can join us. Sarah's super busy, and her stories are in high demand, uh, She's but she's a dear friend, and we appreciate her giving us the time when she can, uh, but she might be joining later if we can get her on the phone. We're going to talk some movies, action movie quotes in effect, obviously, because it's Friday. Uh, we'll get into some MIDI stuff, terrorism updates. That'll be in the second hour. Uh, third hour, I have, a, I have a phenomenal story to share with you about the New York Times getting tripped up on being polite with pronouns. Oh, yeah. You're, you're, you're going to want to hear that one. So I've got a jam-packed show. Why is former GOP House Speaker John Boehner telling the Associated Press that Trump's tenure is a complete disaster? Oh, the Trump administration is a complete disaster. Ah, Boehner. Come on, man. Not helpful. Just not helpful. All right, lines are lit, and all of you are quite helpful and welcome in the Freedom Hut. Let's take them. Carl in Iowa. What's up, Carl? Hey, Buck Shield High. Shield High. I got a quote for you. I'll keep it light since it's uh, Memorial Day weekend, but here it goes. Who is your daddy, and what does he do? Uh, that's Schwarzenegger, kindergarten cop. Yep, you got it. All right. 
I remember. Do you remember when that that uh, they had that board that people were playing with for a while, where you could play different Schwarzenegger quotes, and people were doing the prank phone calls? And I think they're doing it on radio shows, but you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. the Eagles world had uh, uh, the uh, a few good men there too. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> ever so, ever, ever serve in a forward infantry unit? Uh, yeah, you know, I remember that. I remember that for sure. Anything else, Carl? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was going to get your take on uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, threatening the police chief for a laptop back. Oh, uh, you, you know what? You know, Carl, you're catching me. Uh, you're catching me unaware. I, I, I don't know that story. I'm, I'm, I missed that in my re. I saw a headline on it, but uh, why don't you tell me what happened? I mean, you know it as well as I. You know it as well as well, I will in a minute. So what happened? Well, I just kind of read the article quick there, but yeah, that's all I would do. <laughs> Yeah, well, I didn't catch the video, but uh, something about a laptop that's connected to a couple of guys that are a little shady that must have been doing some IT work for him. And uh, she kind of wants that back and threatened the police chief that uh, she's going to get it back one way or another. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll check that out, Carl. Thank you for bringing my attention. I missed that one in my uh, in my show prep, but I will look into it. Thank you, sir. Shields high. Uh, Ed from Ohio, WHLO. What up, Ed? Oh, yes, yeah, sir. Mr. Sexton, uh, two quick things. Um Bob, your previous caller, uh, he was spot on with his comments about uh, this Trump investigation. I keep hoping they do that forever and ever because they're just going to prove what idiots they are. And uh, something else, uh, sir, I'm I'm not an educated man. Maybe you could explain this to me. Let's suppose, for example, this is true, that the Russians hacked the elections in favor of Donald Trump. Now, Vladimir Putin... He knew that Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. She was perpetrating this lie about uh, it was uh, the attack on Benghazi was not terrorism. It's some anti-Muslim cartoon video that 33 people saw on YouTube. Now, who would you want in office? A political unknown like Donald Trump? Or would, would you want someone proven like Hillary Clinton that has been rumored not proven rumored to seek donations donations for her um yeah i mean i think what you're what you're going uh, what you're going at here ed is the the assumption and that we've been led to believe is a is a unanimous government consensus opinion um in terms of the intelligence community and and what was said about this before the election but it's not unanimous and there's no such thing as consensus when it comes to intelligence community assessments i can i can tell you that i mean there's always a lot of different opinions that get filtered in filtered out and and filtered in um when there's an assessment of a major issue so uh yeah why would they want hillary clinton to be i'm sorry why would they want donald trump to be the president i mean look they're they're not relaxing sanctions on russia they have not done anything yet that would be favorable towards the russians in fact uh what you see here is a big blowback against russia right because of trump's victory uh there's now i mean and maybe they couldn't have foreseen this on the russian side of things but the Democrats are more the Democrats right now, Ed, are more hawkish on Russia and more aggressive and bellicose towards Russia and fearful of Russia than at, certainly at any time in my lifetime, which includes at least some memory that I have of the Soviet Union era and, and what it was like during the Cold War. Um, and and I, I'd be willing to bet uh, this is the most angry they've been about Russia even since the Soviet era in a lot of cases. So. 
They, they've just gone off the rails on this thing about how terrible Russia is. I mean, Russia's now public enemy number one in America, which is interesting, by the way, because public enemy number one was a term that the Soviets used to refer to a dissident writer. I'm forgetting which one. It wasn't Solzhenitsyn. I think it was. I'll find out in the break. But you know what I'm saying, Ed? Does that all make sense? Well, yeah, but like in the 1980s when um, Gorbachev and his wife come to visit New York, the gravitas, gravitas. I mean, they were all but begging the Russians to take us over. And now why are the Russians the enemy now? Yeah, they, they, I don't I mean, that's what they're saying. Uh, they're saying the, the Russians are a terrible enemy. And look, the Russians have their own, uh, have their own way of doing things in their own interests, like any country. And they're a little, uh, well, not a little, they're, they're more, um, aggressive and thuggish about it than many other countries are. But, you know, we deal with a lot of countries that are imperfect. You know, it's interesting. On the one hand, we deal with this, we deal with, uh, or we're told the Russians are so bad and scary. And there's been some more, there's been some criticism of Saudi Arabia and our relationship with them recently because Trump was there. But, you know, the Saudis are a highly imperfect uh, ally in many, you know, in so many ways. You know, we, we, we deal with the world as it is, not as the world, uh, not as we wish it were. You know what I'm saying? Like, like an ally of convenience when Stalin and Hitler signed the non-aggression pact and then we made the Soviets our allies after Hitler invaded Russia, that type of thing. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's the, the best example of us putting aside what are clearly, um, uh, what, what were, you know, clear conflicts of, of ideology in order to defeat a common enemy. I mean, the best example of it is us working with the Soviets in the Second World War. Uh, but, Ed, thank you for calling in. Shields high. I do appreciate it. Um, guys, I know I said I would get, I, I will, I promise you, I will get to this Comey this CNN breaking news piece about something that was already reported by the New York Times, I think two months ago. But the, the way it works now is that if you can just add it, when it comes to Russia, Trump stuff, if you could just add a couple of lines of analysis or, or e- even just uh, add some circumspect uh, review of what's already been reported, if it allows you to repeat somehow something about Russia, Trump, then it's news. In fact, it is uh, breaking news. I will have you know. So, um, yeah, I thought I would. Uh, I thought I would just point that out. Uh, I will get to this Comey memo. Um, I do not know if that will be in the next segment because we may be getting Sarah Carter to join us. She has a piece declassified. She's got a few pieces. Sarah's been Sarah's been dropping uh, dropping bombs online here, left and right. Uh, declassified memos show FBI illegally shared spy data on Americans with private parties. That's from circa.com. And I mean, and there's more, uh, there's more on uh, how, how John Brennan CIA became a big consumer of unmasked intelligence on Americans. That's also a headline from circa. I mean, we got to get into all this. Um, it's interesting to me. I think the Democrats are assuming at the end of this whole frenzy over Trump, Russia, there are Trump people that are in handcuffs. Um, they should be very careful about, well, assuming things because, uh, based on what I'm seeing and reading here, and we had Andy McCarthy on earlier this week, who's one of the, uh, one of the smartest prosecutorial minds and one of the straightest shooters and most honest guys you'll hear from on any, on any of these subjects. He thinks there's something funky going on. Sarah thinks there's something funky going on. I think there's something funky going on. Welcome back to the Freedom Hut on an island of liberty where you're the party. 
and it's full of fellow patriots. Buck Sexton kicks it off. Team, welcome back. Sarah Carter joins us now. She is an award-winning national security and war correspondent. She reports for Circa News. Circa.com is the website. She's got a piece up, a few pieces up right now. We definitely need to talk about. Uh, First is declassified memos show FBI illegally shared spy data on Americans with private parties. My friend, Sarah Carter, great to have you. Great to be on with you, Buck. Thanks. Sarah, what the heck is going on with these declassified memos? This is your reporting. Tell us about it. Yeah, I got to tell you, Buck, I was I was shocked. I was expecting to see something. Uh, both John Solomon and I, who wrote the story, we were expecting to see something, but we didn't expect to see what we saw. Um, it was shocking. Uh, you know, Director Comey, former Director Comey of the FBI, had testified on May 3rd, that um, warrantless data that his agency had obtained was only used, he said, when it was lawfully collected and carefully overseen and checked. And according to the Fifth Court, this is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, that was not the case at all. In fact, there were hundreds of instances where the FBI was actually um, minimizing, ignoring the minimization rules, that means showing, you know, disclosing people's names, Americans that were in conversations with people overseas, um, what was being collected by the NSA. There was lack of oversight. And in one case specifically, they deliberately shared spy data with what they said was a, a forbidden party, which I'm assuming is not one of the five eyes. And so, uh, and this, and, and not only that, they said this was just what was reported. They believed there was just so much more out there that they had not had, they were not privy to seeing. And so they couldn't even go further than what they did. I mean, Sarah, this is, uh, th- this seems like the, the, the sort of thing that would get a tremendous amount of attention and debate going. Why do you, do you think that much of the media, I mean, is anyone disputing this? Why isn't this catching, uh, catching more attention outside of your reporting, Fox and a few other places? You know, I, I really don't know. I, I, I'm assuming it's because the narrative on the other side of the media has been so focused on, you know, Russia and collusion with the Trump administration and following that narrative, uh, and usually with anonymous sources, hearsay, hyperbole, but never with facts. What we have here is actual documentation from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Courts. It's not easy to get. These were declassified documents. Um, a majority of which was redacted in certain areas uh, because it is still considered highly classified. But it was enough so that it was just declassified. And in fact, this FBI um, report from the Fifth Court was done in April. So it's not like something from years before. This was recently done. This was this April and declassified at the end of April. So this is very new news. This is extremely important and it deals with our Fourth Amendment rights as Americans. Uh, I think it's invaluable for us to understand this. And I know that Congress, uh, many members of Congress, both Democrats and Republicans, are very concerned about this. And, uh, you know, 702, Section 702 of the FISA, which allows for the monitoring of non-U.S. persons overseas, is actually coming for review at the end of this year. So I know this is something that they're going to be taking a very close look at. We're speaking to Sarah Carter. She's a national security uh, correspondent uh, for Circa News. 
Sarah, tell me about this uh, other piece. Obama Intel Agency secretly conducted illegal searches on Americans for years. This is also up your piece on Circa.com with John Solomon. Uh, yeah, correct. This is part of our ongoing series at looking at these, um, uh, well, pretty much illegal uses of intelligence with our own intelligence community. Uh, this was also quite stunning. Uh, what it stated was, and this was also coming from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, these secret courts that actually issue the warrants. They're, they're, they're there so that they can issue these warrants so people can look at these documents within our intelligence agencies. Now, not the NSA, but the FBI. But what we discovered in these documents was that one out of every 20 searches, those that are seeking like upstream Internet data, that means you're sending something out and it's going to a server, were illegally searched. One in 20 of all American searches were illegally searched. Uh, And I think the reason why these stories are so important, Buck, is because one of the big issues we've been dealing with for the last year is the leaks. You know, the leaks of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn and his conversations with uh, Ambassador Kislyak and uh, other leaks that we've seen come out in the media. And the big concern for a lot of people, even within the intelligence community, is was this being weaponized? Was intelligence being weaponized? And here we have some absolute facts, documents to prove it, not anonymous sources that are saying, look, this intelligence was being misused. It's being mishandled by our own agencies, and it's violating the Fourth Amendment rights of Americans. And was intelligence being weaponized? You know, we don't know the full extent of that yet, but what we do know is the fact that that for certain, our own intelligence agencies were misusing uh, what they were collecting. Also, Sarah, you have a piece how John Brennan, CIA, became a big consumer of unmasked intelligence on Americans. Tell us, I mean, this is all part of your series. What do we learn in this one? Well, in this story, which I think is, uh, is fascinating, is that, you know, the CIA was actually um, the largest consumer of unmasking than any of the other agencies. So they were seeking to unmask Americans more than any other agency. Now, some... Some of these unmaskings were warranted. They're necessary. They're needed. But as Director, you know, Brennan, former Director Brennan of the CIA, testified on the Hill, and Trey Gowdy had asked him the question at the end of the hearing, uh, Director Brennan, have you ever unmasked anyone yourself? And he said yes. And it was kind of left flat, right like that, yes. Not how many, what were they for, which was really interesting because the CIA director is more of the manager of the entire intelligence apparatus of the CIA. Um, and you wouldn't think of him unma- like requesting the unmaskings. And according to the documents and according to people that we've spoken with, they were requesting those unmaskings quite frequently. Uh, not only Director Brennan, but we know for certain, and she admitted to it, and it was part of our series as well, was Susan Rice. And this is when the rules were loosened um, during the Obama administration in 2011, uh, which allowed more and more people to request these unmaskings without a lot of explanation. Um, you could basically write down if you had the authority uh, for national security purposes. And most people think you would have to fill out 80 pages just to unmask someone's private information to be able to show that that person 
was either a threat or that they were possibly being coerced by a foreign government and that they needed to be unmasked to understand the intelligence. But what we learned was that Obama had loosened the rules so much that you could basically just put almost anything down and say, you know, uh, need to know. And, and you could get that request honored uh, by the NSA. And then in 2015, those rules were loosened even further. And this goes back to the FBI story to include the FBI, which set up its own set of rules for basically uh, allowing to unmask clergy members, uh, attorney and client uh, information, uh, doctors. Uh, it was just incredible. And journalists. And journalists, and we know that during the Obama administration, there was there was a number of cases with the Associated Press, with James Rosen, with Cheryl Atkinson, um, who knowingly, and they knew, that they were having their conversations listened to or that they were being unmasked in one form or another. Uh, so, so this is something that should concern every American buck. I mean, it's something that... I believe as we look at more and more evidence and more and more evidence will be unfolded, John and I are continuing our investigation. We hope to break more stories in the upcoming weeks that Americans will take a hard look at this and, and understand the significance of what's being done here. We're speaking to Sarah Carter about her series, uh, her national security bombshell reporting that you should all check out at circa.com. Sarah, uh, in your circles and from your sources, what is uh, Brennan's reputation? I can tell you that from from people that I know, th- while the media always reports on him, they say, oh, he's a, he's a career public servant. I'm always told that Brennan is is a political infighter and that uh, Brennan is not somebody that should be viewed as uh, above above the partisan fray in any way. I, I hear the same things, Buck. Um, I've interviewed Director Brennan, and he was quite nice and cordial and and seemed like just a wonderful man, very intelligent. Uh, and I, I you know I interviewed him for forty five minutes in December uh, before he left the CIA. But one of the things that I have heard, you know, he's very political, he's very savvy, very intelligent, very close ally to Barack Obama. Um, he did love the CIA uh, when I interviewed him. One of, the, one of the things he emphasized over and over again were the great sacrifices made by the men and women of the CIA and the importance of that. And I think that he really does take that to heart. But we also have to understand that we're living in highly politicized times. Uh, you know, there is this tension in Washington, D.C., There, and I think it's played out in the public and has been actually a danger to the republic, the country itself, uh, where people are leaking information on people, they're throwing out innuendos, there's no fact base behind a lot of the reporting. In fact, a lot of the reporting has had to be retracted. Um, we have memos here and people saying this and people saying that without a lot of facts. And a lot of people's names are being drugged through the mud uh, without any facts to support that. And I think as journalists, our job is to know the facts. It's to tell the story. And when you look at this political nature, the political beast of Washington right now, we have to take a step back and say, okay, I know that that's your opinion, but I need facts to base it on. And, and I think that's why we've gone so far as to say, okay, right now, we're not putting anonymous sources in our stories. We're going for the facts. And, of course, anonymous sources are important, very important. And uh, we, won't, we won't keep them out of our stories forever. But right now we wanted to expose what was actually going on. 
Sarah Carter is a national security correspondent. She reports for Circa News. Check out her latest at Circa.com. Sarah, always so great to have you on. Thank you very much, um, and have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you, and happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody out there and all those who serve. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. Just a quick answer to a question I raised myself before, team. Public enemy number one uh, has been around much longer than I thought as a term. Um, It was uh, Al Capone was declared public enemy. I just did a quick Google search because I want to make sure. Uh, I was right in a sense, but I was also missing some stuff. Uh, Yeah, Al Capone was declared public enemy number one by Chicago in 1930. Uh, And in fact, Chicago in 2013 uh, declared... Uh, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman to be public enemy number one. Uh, so El Chapo, the drug kingpin, was declared uh, public enemy. Um, but that all said, New York Times here reporting, uh, I knew I had read this before, um, when Yuri Andropov became the head of the KGB, he declared dissident writer Andrei Sakharov public enemy number one uh, and placed him under constant surveillance. So yeah, Andropov used the term for Sakharov, one of the great uh, dissident Soviet writers, still very much worth reading, by the way, to this day. Solzhenitsyn, Sakharov. I know it's not like light beach reading, but definitely good stuff. Um, Gulag Archipelago, a necessary read, but not one that you're going to not going to make you, uh, you know, get get all happy about life. But it's a very interesting read, nonetheless. Uh, an important perspective on uh, what statism really turns into. Um so, uh, oh, yes, the CNN piece that I've been promising to talk about. I'm sorry that it had been delayed up till now, but I, we had to get Sarah Carter in uh, with her fascinating reporting she's been doing there. Uh, so here's here's what's what's reported by CNN. And, and I got to read it to you so that we're, we're clear on the language and everything else. Going on. FBI Director James Comey. This is from CNN. Just broke today. FBI Director James Comey knew that a critical piece of information relating to the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email was fake, created by Russian intelligence, but he feared that if it became public, it would undermine the probe and the Justice Department itself, according to multiple officials with knowledge of the process. As a result, Comey acted unilaterally last summer to publicly declare the investigation over without consulting then-Attorney General Loretta Lynch, while at the same time stating that Clinton had been extremely careless in her handling of classified information. His press conference caused a firestorm of controversy and drew criticism from both Democrats and Republicans. Comey's actions, based on what he knew was a Russian disinformation, uh, or was Russian disinformation, offer a stark example of the way Russian interference impacted the decisions of the highest level U.S. officials during the 2016 campaign. Let's unpack this together, shall we, team? So, assuming this is true, which is a big assumption, CNN here is reporting that the FBI director knew about a fake memo saying that saying that Loretta that that the Russians had just put out there like a fake story fake news that the Russians had put out saying that the DOJ wasn't going to do anything about Hillary's email server 
which was kind of true anyway, by the way. Um, And in order to short circuit that fake memo from becoming public and influencing American opinion, he jumped in front of the issue by pushing aside uh, Loretta Lynch as attorney general, the DOJ, and finishing the Hillary investigation and saying that no one would press charges. This is crazy. Think about this for a moment. The FBI director is going to make the entirely political determination, mind you, that a a fake memo made public would so turn the American people against the FBI and against uh, the Department of Justice and the electoral process here uh, that he had to take action beforehand because of this memo. Uh, and they're saying that this is how Russia involved itself. This is one of the ways that Russia, you know, hacked the election or whatever it is they like to say. But th- th- this doesn't this doesn't make any doesn't make any sense. So that I know that I'm I'm sort of trying to grapple with this with you, and you can tell that I'm like what. Uh, so there's a memo that says that DOJ is playing dirty in favor of Hillary. CNN says Comey knew about, I shouldn't say memo, whatever. It's an, a, an email or, uh, yeah. Um, a, a fake story that's out there that here, it says the Russian intelligence that issue purported to show that then attorney general Lynch had been compromised in the Clinton investigation the intelligence described emails between then Democrat, then Democratic National Chairman uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and a political operative suggesting that Lynch would make the FBI investigation of Clinton go away. Okay, I mean, this is real House of Mirrors crazy stuff here. Lynch did basically make the investigation go away, did not recuse herself, met with Hillary's husband on a tarmac in grotesque violation of her ethical obligations. That all happened. But now CNN is saying that the Russians came up with a story that somehow Loretta Lynch was acting improperly at the behest of the DNC in the email investigation. So James Comey, like, steps in here to protect the integrity of all U.S. institutions involved, which I think he actually hurt them by doing this, but uh, knowing the memo was fake... And that's how Russia interfered in our election. I mean, this is dizzying. This is just, uh, first of all, the fact that Russia would come up with disinformation that's really just analysis of what was really happening is fascinating, isn't it? There's some Russia disinformation and disinformatia, uh, or disinformatia, I think is how you say it, right? I, my, I don't speak any Russian, but I, I pretend sometimes. Oh, very good. He likes to pretend, speak a little Russian here and there. He sounds like Count Dracula, but um, it'll be great, though, on Halloween when I do my, my The Real Dracula. Those of you listening to me now, just wait, man. We do awesome stuff on Halloween, on the Battle of Malta um, against, well, between the uh, Knights of Malta and the Ottoman Empire. I got all kinds of cool stuff for you. Anyway, this story is just crazy town. Uh, it, 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 not only can I not auth- authenticate or verify, but it just... Even if I believe everything in terms of the facts, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Which is all I need to know to know that there's there's something up here. 
The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not entertained? The Buck is back. On August 6, 2011, Aaron was killed in action in the Tangi River Valley of Afghanistan when a chopper, call sign Extortion 17, carrying 30 Americans, was shot from the sky while rushing into battle. Uh, losing Aaron changed everything and put Karen Vaughn on a new path. Over the past five years, Karen has emerged on the national stage as a powerful spokeswoman, not only for defenders who are still fighting on foreign soil and securing peace across the globe, but also as an advocate for a better, stronger, more resilient America. Her book, World Changer, A Mother's Story, provides parents with advice on how to raise children who will leave a mark on the world, much like her fallen son, Aaron. Uh, Karen Vaughn, a gold star mother uh, and founder of For Our Son, joins us now. Karen, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you, Buck. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate uh, it. Just if, if you would please tell everybody uh, a bit about the background of how we got to this current moment where you are uh, representing both gold star parents as well as uh, those who are still out on the battlefield. Tell us about Aaron. Well, you know, he was a kid that uh, any mother would have been proud to raise. By the time he was eight years old, he had already decided what he was doing with his life. He was going to be a Navy SEAL. And that dream took him all the way through high school. Just before he got out of school, he had not one knee injury, but two knee injuries. And after the second one, he was told that he would spend the rest of his life somewhat handicapped and would never be able to do anything physical again. But, um, he resigned himself to that after this lifelong dream, went to college, got a good job, started a new career, and then on 9-11, everything changed. He came home a few months later on his birthday and told us that he'd join the SEAL Challenge program, and we said, son, you'll never make it. You know, how can you make it with your knee? He had no anterior cruciate ligament in his left knee, and he said, I've always believed this is what God has created me to do. He's telling me to go do it right now, and I know I can, and Sure enough, he did. He not only made it into the SEALs, he made it all the way to the most elite fighting force the world has ever known, SEAL Team 6. And, uh, of course, on August 6th, like you said, in 2011, he lost his life. What what happened on August 6th, Karen? Chopper shoot-down. Um, 30, 30 Americans boarded a, a Chinook chopper to rush in to, to a mission that the Rangers had been engaged in and th- for three and a half hours in the Tangy River Valley of Afghanistan. And just before they landed, their chopper was shot from the sky, killing every single person on board. This is the single largest loss of life in the history of naval special warfare, and still to date, the single largest one-day loss of life in this entire war. Before we talk a bit about your book, which is out now, and it's World Changer, A Mother's Story, uh, tell us a bit about For Our Son, the organization of which you're a founder. Well, so when Billy and I, uh, when we first went to the debriefing after the helicopter shoot down, we left there with a few questions, and and those questions multiplied through time. Uh, The circumstances around that shoot down are still very, very foggy and very um, covered, and, you know, we've we've believed all along that there's information that's been kept from the families. We've now had a an Air Force captain come out and say that they were told to uh, to not speak to families and that, that the things that were given to us in our debriefing were lies. That's not actually what happened on the battlefield. But in the midst of that, Buck, Billy and I just we just straightened up our legs and our backs and we said, you know, we got to find out how our son died. And so we began fighting. Um, what, what we learned firsthand and most importantly is the rules of engagement that our war fighters had been forced to fight under uh, during the Obama administration were horrific, if not criminal, in my heart criminal, if we send our sons and daughters 
to war, we should have every expectation as mothers and fathers that this United States military United States military and our government will do everything they can to bring our sons and daughters home. But that was not the case. And thank God we do have a new administration and things are changing. It will take time to get all of these ridiculous rules corrected. But that's what started for our son. We started fighting the the government. We started fighting the military and just refusing to stop until there was accountability, until something changed. And and so uh, a, a, a new election, a president was... President Trump was a breath of fresh air for us and gave us hope that that these things will be corrected. I'm speaking to Karen Vaughn. She's Gold Star mother of Navy SEAL Aaron Carson Vaughn, and she's founder of For Our Son and author of a book that's out right now called World Changer, A Mother's Story. Karen, tell us about World Changer, your new book. So right after Aaron died, he left behind two small children, Reagan, who was not quite two, and Chamberlain, who was only nine weeks old. And I started collecting stories and putting them on paper because I didn't want to forget any details of the things I could remember at that point, you know, that that had happened in his life. And I wanted to have those collected, Buck, so that his children could cherish them, could read them. And, And then in the midst of all the traveling I started doing and the speaking I started doing, I spoke to a couple uh, groups of moms. And as I was just sharing some basic principles we implemented in our house, I found out that that what I knew and what I practiced wasn't the the normal, you know, in today's society. And they were just engaged and asking so many questions about what I was sharing. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, I'm going to put this book together and make it somewhat of a of a plan on how people in today's society can raise world-changing children, children who are, you know, who are courageous and tough and gritty and able to stand up to opposition and able to overcome obstacles. And, and so the dream just began, and, and thank God it's finally finished, and I just used Aaron's life to, to basically just draw a roadmap of, of at least one way that you can raise amazing world-changing kids who will leave a mark on our country when they're gone. Well, Karen, you and your your husband, you raised a warrior, an elite warrior, uh, but people are, are warriors in, in different ways, and some listening will have children who perhaps will go off and, and fight with the military. Others will be fighting uh, for justice and freedom in, in other ways. What are some of the principles for those listening who want to raise their own warrior in one way or another? What are the, some of the principles that you apply and you discuss in the book? Well, no, you're so right about that. You don't have to wear a uniform to be a hero or be a defender of America's Constitution or our, our history. But, yeah, what what we say is, you know, in the book, the principles are simple. We talk about discipline in the book and just how crucial discipline is. And, and one thing I talk a lot about is how I allowed my children to work things out between themselves, but not rush in and fix everything, you know, that, that they went through. If they had issues with their friends, I would give them tools to help them work out those issues instead of rushing in and fixing them for them. You know, I believe we're watching this culture, you know, of, and we talk about it so often that it's almost just, just tiresome to talk about it, but these everybody gets a trophy, uh, you know, the areas of our life that not only defeat the drive that was created in the American spirit, you know, to accomplish great things. I, I think about the kid who, who doesn't try and gets a trophy. What are we teaching him? You don't have to try. And then, but also, what are we teaching the kid who deserved the trophy but didn't get it? Stop trying. It won't pay off for you. And we're slowly degrading our culture with these very principles. So that and so many other ideas in there about just 
strength and grit and overcoming. One thing that I laugh about a lot is I was a city girl who married a country boy. You know, we lived on a farm, raised our kids on a farm, and my husband would get my son out there on that farm and do the most outrageous things. And, and I would have to, you know, just grip my teeth and allow him to do it because I just tried to understand that, that that part was necessary, too, to develop a strong young man. And, you know, like one thing he did is we had this cow named White Cow, a bovine dictator on our farm. No joking. No jo- and, and Billy made Aaron stand in the, gape one, in the gap one time when we were corralling cows and said, son, if, if White Cow, that was her name, if she charges you, you just punch her in the face. And, and I'm standing there saying, what? Because Aaron was about 10 years old, probably weighed 80 pounds soaking wet. But you know what? He did it. She charged him, and he did it, and he backed her down. And, you know, we've got to allow our kids to experience risk, you know, qualified risk, of course. But those are just some of the principles. We've got to allow them to fail because nobody achieves anything without having failed first. And we've got to, you know, teach them that failure isn't final, that it's a stepping stone to understanding how to do it better next time. So I know I'm spitting out a whole lot of things, but my heart is just packed with stuff I just want to share. They're basic principles, but a lot of families in our society are just just not aware of how to implement them in practical ways. And that's what I've tried to show people with the book. Well, this book, World Changer, contains a lot of those principles. For those listening, please do check it out. Uh, World Changer, A Mother's Story is the book. Karen Vaughn, gold star mother of Navy SEAL Aaron Vaughn, uh, is with us now. And she's also founder of For Our Son. Uh, Karen, any closing thoughts about uh, Memorial Day? We've got a lot of people listening now who are uh, either active duty or or veterans or family of of either of those uh, what are your what are your thoughts on this memorial day my thoughts are I, I just want to reach out as a voice across america and say to every single person listening just understand that freedom isn't free understand that this is a sacred day and every single person who had given their life for our freedom, would want you to have a phenomenal, fun day, you know, just to celebrate this weekend. We should celebrate it, but it's a day to remember and to honor, but most of all, to respect the sacrifice that keeps us free. And that's what I'd say. And for everybody out there that's serving, God bless you. There are not a group of people in the entire world that I have more love and passion for than United States veterans. So God bless all of you who are listening tonight. Karen, thank you for uh, for Aaron's service, and, and thank you for everything that you're doing as well. We really appreciate it. The book is World Changer, A Mother's Story. Karen, please come back soon. I will. Thanks, Buck. Dressed in military fatigues, the gunman waved down the bus filled with Christian pilgrims as it made its way down a dusty side road in the desert of western Egypt headed toward a monastery. Claiming to be security officers, the gunmen ordered the passengers to get out. They separated the men from the women and children and instructed them to surrender their mobile phones. They told the men to recite the Shahatta, the Islamic Declaration of Faith. When the men refused, the gunmen opened fire. At least 28 people were killed, several with a single shot to the head, um, according to Egyptian authorities. This was 120 miles from Cairo. That was from the the New York Times reporting on this. 120 miles from Cairo, 28 
Coptic Christians uh, murdered in cold blood because of their religion. Um, I, I think that also it should be noted that they would uh, qualify as martyrs for the Christian faith. They were told to proclaim their allegiance to another faith at gunpoint, and they refused. So these are 28 Christian martyrs. Um, won't be reported that way. And as I've said to you, the Christian conception of martyrdom is certainly very different from the jihadist Islamic one. Um, but this is uh, another one of these days where we will be told, don't take anything from this. Don't extrapolate any political, uh, any, any political position or come to any conclusions about uh, one faith having a greater tendency towards violence than another. That's what the media will tell you. Um, meanwhile... We know that jihadists, because of the start of Ramadan, uh, jihadists around the world are planning to escalate their killing and murder and mayhem. Uh, and this is a now year. Uh, this is now a, a yearly occurrence. Not just, of course, the Ramadan period, a, a, a Muslim uh, holiday, but also that there is an escalation of violence during Ramadan. Um, and that jihadists take it as an opportunity to push their agendas to the forefront of the news cycle with acts of uh, brutality and depravity. Um, Trump said about this that terrorists, about this uh, opening fire on Coptic Christians in Egypt. And just before I, I get to what Trump says about this, uh, just for a moment, Imagine what the headlines would be right now if a Christian extremist group, um, which, you know, what does that even mean right now? Um, but, you know, what, what would that even be in, in the modern context? Um, but if a Christian extremist group had picked out Muslims, um, uh, almost 30 of them, and, and executed them in cold blood, as a, a on their way to a, a monastery, it should be noted as a way of of celebrating a, a Christian holiday, it would be the main news story of every website, uh, well, yeah. most every major website in the world. Um, right now, I'm looking at CNN.com, and you have uh, the rise of racial ranting as the main story, um, and also this photo of. Political spouses and partners is making waves. Those are the top two, top two stories on CNN.com right now. Are, are we supposed to believe that we don't have a, a different set of expectations for uh, what will happen from within the Islamic faith around the world and what will happen from within the Christian faith around the world? Um, I, I know that the answer is we're supposed to treat everything, that all religions are the same, all are equally worthy, all are, but of course that's, nonsensical on its face because you can't believe that one is true and the other is true that doesn't mean that you don't allow people to worship as they see fit it doesn't mean you don't show people respect of course but it does mean that i shouldn't have to sit around and pretend that there's not a pattern here that's noticeable one we've discussed here on the show and we'll continue to 
Um, but there are uh, apologists uh, within our midst who refuse to take note of the fact that there is a problem in the Islamic world right now, a very big one, um, and it affects all of us. It's not, it's not something that uh, we just watch from the sidelines and hope it works itself out. It affects all of us as we now have uh, concerns about the Las Vegas Strip, um, that there's a, an Islamic State propaganda video showing a clip of Las Vegas, of course, in advance of Ramadan. Um, there are the concerns about attacks on aviation that have gotten more, um, more media reporting recently. Um, we know that it, it's, you know, it's, not, it's not the Amish that we're concerned about blowing a plane out of the sky. We all, it's not, it's not Hindus, it's not Buddhists, it's not Jews. Um, so, but we we're supposed to be silent and not really talk about this. We have to pretend that we don't see obvious patterns and, and we're not allowed to discuss the origins and the ideology of the threat. We just sit back and, and hope that it's not our time. Trump said about this that the terrorists are engaged in a war against civilization and it is up to all who value life to confront and defeat this evil, uh, this merciless slaughter of Christians in Egypt tears at our hearts and grieves our souls. Wherever innocent blood is spilled, a wound is inflicted upon humanity. But this attack also steals our resolve to bring nations together for the righteous purpose of crushing the evil organizations of terror and exposing their twisted, depraved, and thuggish ideology. Uh, an excellent statement from the president on this. Uh, I sit here and I, I wonder... Um, what we are supposed to make, what would the, uh, the editorial boards of the New York Times, Washington Post, what's in the MSNBC and CNN and ABC and CBS newsrooms, if I sat down with all their editorial teams and asked them, so why is it that there is a, an expected and always fulfilled expectation of increased violence before the Muslim holy month around the world? What am I to make of that? I think they would just look at me and say, you're not even allowed to ask the question. And then I would be the problem, you see. I'm the problem for asking the question. That's what they would suggest. And then we would have to move on. He spreads freedom. Because freedom's not going to spread itself. Buck Sexton is back. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with me in the Freedom Hut on this uh, Friday before the long weekend. We've got our buddy David Harsanyi on the line. He's a senior editor at The Federalist. His latest, some hard-hitting news analysis here. We're actually going to, this might get a little contentious. His latest is, here's every single Tom Cruise movie correctly ranked. Uh, Mr. Harsanyi, prepare to defend yourself. <laughs> I always am with my <laughs> rankings. So for, now you did this list because uh, what, what, what's uh, Top Gun Two is is being made, right? That's right. There's right. a sequel coming. So I, I had two reasons. One, I will literally do anything I can not to write about Donald Trump or Russia or CBO scores if they let me. And I like B, it. Yeah, and B, uh, Tom Cruise is making Top Gun Two, which was announced the other day. Right, and this is perfect because it's also action movie quote Friday here. So now oh, people like might be calling in and saying. Uh, all kinds of Top Gun quotes. Although Tom uh, Tom Cruise and Top Gun 
are so well known that I think that might not even really be a challenge for it. I don't even think you have to be an action movie uh, buff to be really into or to really know Top Gun. But we've we've got to get into this a little bit here. Uh, speaking of Tom Cruise movies with with David Harsanyi ranking them, because you start off this list with Magnolia, and sir, I just it, did you see the movie or have you just heard it's really good? <laughs> I saw it and I liked it in a weird way. I mean, I, I think I've watched it only one time. It's a very depressing movie, but he was so good in it. He was fantastic, wasn't he? So I, you know, I felt like I had to give him number. Yeah, you know, I had to give number one to his best sort of pure acting role, the thing that he acted well in. I mean, that's. I will tell you this, David, because you know, I feel like we're we're buds, and I've known you for now. I've I've known you for like five or six years now, right? We 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 go back oh, to maybe even a little more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe seven years, guys. I've known Mr. Harsanyi, yeah. um, and uh, I, I gotta be I gotta be honest with you. That is one of the only movies I was with my parents, so they can vouch for this. One of the only movies that halfway through I found so depressing I walked out on. So I've actually never seen it in its entirety. <laughs> It only gets worse, so you like saw the happy half. Yeah, the, 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 they well, my it was funny because my parents came home and they said, "Well, the good thing is you left before it started raining frogs." And I was like, "Oh, raining frogs, good joke." And they're like, "No, it actually starts raining frogs." So I felt like that summarized things for me. But hey, the, people loved it. People are big fans of it. So uh, it, it would be, uh, I would, I would upend the list in terms of Magnolia. But some of your others, I got to say, I agree with more. Tropic Thunder, I thought this was interesting. You said only sporadically amusing, but you think Tom Cruise makes the whole thing worthwhile. Right. So I think my first two balance each other out in a way, you know what I mean? Because he plays only a small role in both, but they're both incredible in different ways. So Tropic Thunder, he plays Les Grossman, the, you know, the high powered lawyer agent. Uh, he wears like a, a fat suit, I guess it's called, you know, and he's just such looks- a microaggression. Yeah, I'm scared to say anything these days. So, um, but he, you know, he's just hilarious in that movie. And, and, you know, some people like that movie more than I do. I don't think it's terrible. I think it's interesting and funny. Uh, But, but anyway, so I, I, I use those to balance out sort of the serious and the more, you know, humorous. I completely agree. In the number three slot here of Tom Cruise movies, and here we are in action movie, quote, Friday. And, and you could argue, I think, that Tom Cruise is one of the biggest action movie stars of all time. I think that's a that's a uh, you know you could you could put him in this similar leading leading man category with Harrison Ford, where they're not purely action movie guys. They're not like Schwarzenegger, Stallone back in the eighties, although they obviously branched out as well. Um, they're not, not sort of adrenaline eighties action movie guys, but are leading men in major action films. Clearly, Mission Impossible, and with Tom Cruise, all the different Tom Clancy. Uh, Tom Clancy variations, um, but you have a few good men in your three spot, and I have to agree with you on this one. I I talk I talk stuff about a few good men, you know. I'm like blah blah overacting, blah blah implausible. If it's on TV, no matter when it's on, I'll probably watch a half hour of it. Right. So I've been lying to myself for maybe ten years about this movie because I realized recently that every time it's on, every time I run across it, I watch it to the very end. Now. I have to admit, a lot of that has to do with Jack Nicholson, but he, I think, is actually underrated in that movie. He does a really good job. Um, so, you know, I felt like this is a movie that most people know, most people like. And I just want to quickly say, I think you're right about Tom Cruise. In fact, I think in in the history of action movies, he's probably been the most consistently, he's made the most consistently good action movies for the longest amount of time, more than anyone else. Yeah, he's been incredibly successful. I mean, he's really, if you're looking for duration of of major blockbuster action adventure movies, uh, it's really, for me, I think the list is uh, 
Tom Cruise, a lifetime, right? Tom Cruise, Will Smith, Harrison Ford. I think they're at the very, very top uh, of the game. But uh, number eight on your list, you've got Top Gun. Number eight of all of Tom Cruise's movies, I think for sentimental reasons, which you point out here that that's why most people like it, I probably would have put it at number one. That may be an overstatement, but number eight seems harsh for Top Gun. What's up with that? I have never loved that movie. I've, I've never loved that movie for a lot of reasons. I don't, I don't, it's too shiny 80s. It doesn't stand up when I watch it. You know, it, the music, everything about it sort of turns me off. Um, but I get that people love it. I get that it reminds them of a certain time, you know, and I'm older than you. It certainly was right in there for me. Would it come out like 85 or 86? So I was a teenager and uh, I get that. But when you really look at it, I, I, like I say, Day, I think Days of Thunder is a remake of that movie in a lot of ways and a better movie overall. i got to admit something now on air. I've never seen Days of Thunder, so we're just going to have to. I'm just going to take your word for that and yeah, add that to the list of, of, that, yeah. of movies that I have not seen. By the way, a, a fun note about Top Gun. I've had this debate with many people. Everyone thinks that they know who the bad guys are in Top Gun, meaning like what the other planes are they're shooting down. It, there is nothing to indicate. You have no idea who they are. They, they just refer to them as the enemy. They don't give you the uh, enemy uh, pilot speaking ever. They're just like people in helmets that have, uh, you know, that are dark with a star on it. I mean, clearly it's like a Soviet era thing, but y- y- we don't know who it is. Listen, Tom, let me just say this about that movie. Tom Cruise blows up, kills his friend, basically, is completely irresponsible, buzzes the tower, does all these terrible things. He should not be in a plane ever again, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't even I don't even know how if you buzzed a tower like that that would be it right he does it like multiple times in the movie this is like when I saw that that YouTube uh, supercut of if Mrs. Doubtfire was a horror movie which any of you who haven't seen it I recommend you go on YouTube and check it out you'll never think of Mrs. Doubtfire the same way it, it, your, your whole conception of the movie changes dramatically with just a few different cuts and a little voiceover and everything you're like oh my gosh this movie's terrifying right uh, like, like um, uh, what's the Oh, Mr. Drummond, what is that show? Three, not Three's Company. Um, fact, not Facts of Life, where they have he adopts different strokes. Voice. Different strokes. They have an, the intro with like scary classical music instead of the music they have, and it's just he looks like a child molester who's like picking up two kids and taking them home. It's like it changes your whole. Uh, the whole story changes for you forever. Haven't haven't seen that one, yeah. but we'll we'll add that to the list of stuff that I would have to have to check out. Uh, but Last Samurai, I want to talk to you about this one. You say a smart and beautifully made historical epic about the late nineteenth century Japan. I will say that it's nice that Last Samurai gave its uh, entire plot line to Avatar, and that maybe Last Samurai borrowed its plot line from Dances with Wolves. But don't you have a problem with Tom Cruise being like the only dude to survive two major battles on his side? Everyone gets wiped out, but Tom Cruise. I I, I guess so. Uh, I, guess, I mean, if you're looking, I mean, in the last battle, in the last battle, David, they're firing Gatling guns. Come on! If you're looking for plausibility, I I, I don't know if that's the movie for you, but. Just overall, I thought it was a fun, I love like historical, you know, epic. So um, I just thought it was really well made. Yeah, it's a little, you know. I, I will agree with you on this point. Why is that the first time I've ever seen Ninja versus Samurai? That was amazing. Right. That was the best scene in the whole movie. I'm like, why hasn't anybody else done Ninja versus Samurai in the Western canon of film in this way at this production value? And the answer is unsatisfying. 
Tom Cruise does what he wants. That's why, right? Yeah. If he decides he wants to do something. That was awesome. I will say that with that that scene for me made the whole movie worthwhile, and it was incredibly well shot, and the production values were amazing, and the acting was actually really good. The guy who plays the lead samurai was I, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he was excellent. Yeah, um, he's been in a few. So yeah, yeah, he's he's like he's a pretty well known well known dude, uh, but he, he he did a very good job. You put the firm at number twelve. You put Mission Impossible at thirteen. Jerry Maguire at fourteen. Um, I'm going to agree with you on Jerry Maguire. I'm going to say you go back and watch it, and you're like, maybe the 90s, I was okay that I like this, but kind of like the show Friends, it, it was it was great for when it was great. Right. There's, there's a lot of sort of, uh, you know, sappiness to it, and I get why people like it. There are moments where the music, you know, makes you emotional about what's going on, probably. It's, I'm, it's, I'm not the target audience for that, but um, I just don't think it's, it's one of these movies that, you know, is great. It's just, it's good. We're speaking to David Harsanyi. He's a senior editor at The Federalist. He's got a piece up. Every single Tom Cruise movie correctly ranked up on thefederalist.com. Uh, and it's Action Movie Quote Friday and going into a holiday weekend. So we needed to talk a little bit of movies here in particular with a, a renowned expert in Tom Cruise films, Mr. Harsanyi. Uh, I got to say, you put Vanilla Sky, and this is the last one that we'll, uh, we'll hit on specifically, and then everyone else should just go to thefederalist.com to read your piece. Vanilla Sky at the 15 spot. I, I would have put it down around Lions for Lambs at your 31. I thought Vanilla Sky was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I, many people agree with you, including people in my own home who I watched it with. Uh, I Listen, I think that the movie was, its intentions were good. It tried to do something that I found interesting. It's got a little, I don't want to give it away, but not that, you know, not that he was watching that movie these days anymore, but... Um, I just thought he was really good in it, and I liked the twist at the end, and I thought so it was an interesting movie. And I, oh, I'm sorry, what, one more. I know I said I'd let you off with the yeah. last one, but what? Number 29, Valkyrie? No love for Valkyrie? Historically, you know, based and no, nothing? I don't like movies where, like, the bad Nazis win, basically, right? Like, I knew... I, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I watched. I couldn't finish it. I didn't really like it oh. that much. I didn't. I don't know. You know. I, I, I'm kind of with you. It's sort of like watching Indiana Jones and the Nazis win in the end. Although, you know, in right, this that's, ca- why, well, that's why Quentin Tarantino was great. You know, he actually, you know, he blew, you know, he blew it up. And what, which movie was that where with the Nazis lose? Uh, Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, that's like my favorite movie. It's like a revenge porn for me as a Jewish person, and I love that movie. So I don't like when they lose, and I, you know. But I'm sure technically it's a pretty well-made movie. But uh... Well, David, I just want to let everybody know, we've, we've gone over 11 minutes here without talking about Trump, Russia, collusion, uh, leaks, indictments, uh, Mueller, Comey. So I think we should get a, a little high-five just for that. David Harsanyi of The Federalist, everybody. David, thank you so much for your time. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. We got Kit from California on the line. What's up, Kit? Hey, Buck. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good. First time caller, but I've been listening since the Saturday days. Oh, wow. Original squad. Since way, that's been, it's been years now, my friend. Thank you for staying with me. Yeah. So love the show. Love the deep dives. Keep those coming uh, into history. Uh, just love all that stuff. Thank you so much. I got a, I got an action quote for you. Let's hear it. Now, it's uh, it's a little obscure quote, but it's definitely in your wheelhouse in terms of 80s action movies. And excuse my my uh, poor accent. You should not drink and think. You should not drink and think? Think. <laughs> you should... Well, it's a terrible Arnold accent, but you should not drink 
and bake. Is that kindergarten cop again? I don't know. What is that? Oh, no. It's in Raw Deal. Ah, uh, you know what, man? <laughs> I saw Raw Deal like once on on like basic cable a long time ago. Uh, and I, I, rem- I know it's got Russian stuff in it. Maybe it's worth going back to check out. I remember very little of it, but okay. Fair enough. You, you got me with that one. That's the legit action quote. I mean, it's not the most iconic quote of all time, even from that movie, but okay. Uh, it's okay, kid. I'll- no, it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but she throws a cake at him because he's going to go out and shoot people, basically, and uh-huh. do his life or something like that. That's, that's, she that's- throws a cake at him, and that's his, that's his response. All right. All right, man. Well, Kit, thank you. Original Squad from the Saturday show, Shields High, man. Thank you so much for calling in, Kit. It was great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Uh, we got breaking news, everybody. Oh, man. I thought we were going to get to escape into the weekend together and not have to deal with yet another drip, 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 yet another bit of bad news uh, for the White House on the Russia stuff. This. Coming from the Washington Post, no surprise there. Uh, Be best if I just read some of it to you. Uh, The headline is, Russian ambassador told Moscow that Kushner wanted secret communications channel with the Kremlin. And here's what the story is. Jared Kushner and Russia's ambassador to Washington discussed the possibility of setting up a secret and secure communication channel between Trump's transition team and the Kremlin using Russian diplomatic facilities in an apparent move to shield their pre-inauguration discussions from monitoring, according to U.S. officials briefed on intelligence reports. Wow. Ambassador Sergei Kizilyak reported to his superiors in Moscow that Kushner... Son-in-law and confidant to then-president-elect Trump made the proposal during a meeting uh, on December 1st or 2nd at Trump Tower, according to intercepts of Russian communications that were reviewed by U.S. officials. Kizilyak said Kushner suggested using Russian diplomatic facilities in the United States for the communications. Okay, first of all, uh, this would be yet another leak to the press, if true of highly sensitive information. Um, this is, I mean, there's somebody in the, in the intelligence apparatus or somebody with, with real access at high levels of government who is trying to, trying to take down Trump and his people big time. Um, this, this is, if this is true, whoever leaked this is risking, you know, tremendous legal jeopardy for one, uh, I don't think they'll ever be caught because you see the thing about the thing about leaks is that people that really leak and uh, and that are intentionally putting stuff out there that's very sensitive and they know it is are careful because they understand the penalty. If they have access to the information from inside of government, then they understand the penalties. So when they call for crackdowns on leakers, what usually happens is they they the government will just crush some some uh, you know some poor low level. Uh, you know, government, nobody as an example to all the rest, you know, somebody who like leaves a classified document uh, on the, I don't know, you know, in, in the back of their car by accident or something. And, you know, I mean, like they will all, oh, they'll make a huge deal of that. 
um, but to, to send a message to everybody else. But the, the big leakers, I mean, a leak like this, you're never, I know people don't want to hear this. You're never going to find out who this is. And they're never going to find out who this is uh, because whoever's doing this knows they are taking an enormous risk uh, by using their access to wait. Look, they're waging a political war. There are people inside the United States government, according to the Washington Post, who are straight up uh, waging a political war, violating their oaths, violating federal law to take down Trump. That's what's happening here. There's no two ways about it. Now, I have to also analyze if true, the if true part of this, meaning what is what does this say about uh, Kushner and the Trump team if they were trying to set up this uh, this channel? Um, well, first of all, interesting in this piece, they say that, quote, neither the meeting nor the communications of Americans involved were under U.S. surveillance. So. Um, they're they're establishing that for us. It, it seems to me that they would be basing this then. Um, they're basing this information, of course, off U.S. officials that have reviewed transcripts of communications um, of something that didn't happen. And I, I don't think there's anything. I don't even think there's any allegation of illegality here. Uh, although I'd have to dig into it a little more to make sure I'm not missing something. Um, but what I see is that now there will be continued leaks that are meant to politically annihilate the Trump administration. If they can't get them criminally, they're going to try to take them down with things that look bad that we never really get answers about because it comes from within the classified world. And so we only know what the New York Times, and the Washington Post wants to tell us. And I'll ask you this question. Do you think that any exculpatory uh, classified information that the New York Times, the Washington Post may or may not get its hands on when it comes to Trump. Do you think any of that would be shared? No, it would not. That would not get published if it were beneficial to the administration. But anything that takes the administration down, they will publish. Um, this comes, of course, right after they said that Jared Kushner is a focus in the Russian investigation. So they're, this is part of a coordinated assault. They're going after Kushner here. They, The president's son-in-law, they think that they can... Uh, they can create real problems for him with these stories and we'll see i don't know i don't know if it's true or not i'm just reading what the washington post is reporting here but this is the big bombshell report of friday of course they're going to talk about it all weekend and on the sunday shows be sure of that and i'll keep following it but uh, we're going to switch up topics team and talk about the new york times and pronouns bug sexton with america now we are gold the Freedom Hut is fired up as Team Buck assembles shoulder to shoulder, shields high. Call in 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. You've heard of he said, she said. But what about they said, she said, they should have said they? Aha! You're like, Buck, what are you talking about? Uh, this is... Absolutely fascinating, my friends, and I knew this would happen, and here we are. It brings together a TV show that I really enjoy. It brings together a problem that I've seen coming for a long time via the progressive left. Uh, so it, it, it's a perfect storm of social justice crazy. Let me give you some of the details here. Let me bring you up to speed. So the New York Times writes a piece about, it's an opinion piece, by the way, an op-ed 
about censorship in different countries. Actually, a pretty interesting piece about what is okay in Turkey versus what's okay in Singapore versus what's okay in a whole bunch of places. Uh, In Turkey, apparently, I didn't know this, if someone tries to smoke a cigar in a movie, they replace it with a pixelated flower. So Don Corleone in, uh, in The Godfather would be had like a little daisy in his hand instead of a cigar. That's what it said in the article, at least. So it was an interesting article about censorship. Um, but and, and you think this should... And it's uh, somebody here who's uh, pointing out the differences in different countries. You'd think that this shouldn't run afoul of any standards or problems, right? That an article on cultural censorship wouldn't run into its own form of censorship in the New York Times, no less, where it's been proofread and fact-checked and gone over... <gasps> Oh, but you'd be wrong. Here is the offending line. Would I be satisfied if Asia Kate Dillon's voice was muted as she questioned gender norms? Now, hold for a second that sentence. Asia Kate Dillon is a uh, is an actress best known for uh, her appearances in the show Billions, where she plays a character that goes by they, a gender-neutral, transgender character who who says my pronouns are they, theirs, uh, not he or she. And that's in the show. In real life, this actress, Asia Kate Dillon, although I do believe all actors, they prefer just actor instead of the, which is fine, this actor, Asia Kate Dillon, also goes by they, But you see, here's the problem. The New York Times is writing about this and said, Asia Kate Dillon's voice was muted as she questioned gender norms. (gasps) The New York Times, the progressive flagship of the left, has run afoul, has, has run ashore, run aground on the rocks of correct grammar. Because, you see, they is not singular. And if you're referring to an individual, you can't use they. That's improper. But now we are told that there needs to be a neutral term that is used that is neither he nor she for a human being. But they is wrong, based on grammar. But they is right, based <laughs> they is right, based on the new progressive orthodoxy. So what to do? Oh, the outrage here, you can imagine. The New York Times ended up writing a a lengthy, a lengthy piece uh, entitled Vague Guidelines Lead to a Misstep on Gender Pronouns by the public editor of the New York Times. Vague guidelines. Uh, and and there's, uh, this is an exercise and hand-wringing, unlike anything else you'll read this week. Oh, it's so, it's, uh, quote, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's delicious reading because the Times, on the one hand, is very, uh, very officious about language and grammar and, you know, we're the New York Times. Uh, and on the other, they're like, oh, but we're so leftist and progressive and, you know, come on, guys, like that. I just said, come on, guys, microaggression. Come on, everyone, non-gender, binary, non non-heteronormative, they got caught up here. Because what do you do? They is incorrect. When you refer to an individual based on English grammar, based on our language, 
they is plural. They is not singular. So just because someone has now decided or some group has decided that they want to be called they, does that mean that we literally change grammar rules? This isn't just a preference thing. This is a grammar rules thing. And the answer is the New York Times says, well, of course they will, but they want everyone to know that this is kind of a, an issue for them. So they write this, society, quote, society's fast evolving views of gender identity seem at the moment to be outpacing the rules of grammarians and in turn those of stylebook editors. The Times guidelines don't offer a simple yes or no to the question of whether they or some other non-standard pronoun is acceptable in its pages. <gasps> what are we going to do? All of this movement out there from the social justice warriors about how there are 27 different genders and there are pronouns like Z. Well, that may work in the pages of Hypatia, a feminist journal of philosophy, but in the New York Times, which prides itself on the proper usage of English language, are they to abandon grammar in favor of the latest social justice trend? The answer, my friends, of course, is yes, they will. They will cave. They will cave on this issue of grammar because they have already caved on the issue of reality. A person is male or female. The decision to say he or she is a decision to recognize objective reality. Now, if a person, on the one hand, is saying that he would like to be called she or she would like to be called he, we can have a, an entirely separate discussion as to whether or not one would concede in that preference. But to concede they... They? Oh, am I allowed to walk around and just ask that everybody call me His Royal Highness? What if I really think I'm His Royal Highness? Am I, am I allowed to expect that in my workplace I'll be referred to as His Royal Highness? Uh, someone tell me. Uh, fellow Freedom Hut team, are you all going to refer to me as Your Royal Highness? I mean, if I told them to say that, they'd refer to me as a lot of stuff when I wasn't around. Um, this is crazy. But this is where it's going. Oh, make no mistake about it. Right now, the Times is stumbling over the grammar, but they've already conceded the, uh, the ethical point here, the philosophical point about pronoun usage being not a reflection of fact and reality, but pronoun usage is a question of personal preference. Oh, now we've reached a point where there are already bills being passed in Canada and in this country on pronoun usage in the current hate speech hysteria environment where uh, reading from the from the Republican Party's platform may get a call to the FBI and an investigation uh, against hate uh, on you against hate speech on a certain college campus. I mean, that's how crazy it's getting these days. We're no longer even able to make this a point of philosophical distinction. What happens when all of a sudden it becomes discriminatory as a function of workplace law not to call someone their preferred pronoun? What happens when somebody shows up in an office and says, I don't care about being called he or she. When you refer to me, it will be under the Almighty because that's how I identify. 
This sounds preposterous, but it is not, because there is no philosophical, reasonable difference between somebody saying they must be referred to as they, which is multiple people. Can we at least agree that you can be male or female or, you know, if there's some transitional scale, even if one concedes that, which is a whole separate discussion, you're not multiple people. There are not several of you. You don't get to vote a few times. So you don't get to change the language to reflect a plurality when you are a singularity, right? But if you can change from a singular to a plural on a whim, why can't you change to an honorific? Why can't I demand as a function of my identity that I self-identify as the almighty buck and any employer, any person who fails to meet that demand, because I view it as part of my gender identity, that's my preferred pronoun, the almighty buck, which actually sounds like a pretty cool movie. What happens then? You see, they keep pushing and pushing to see where this madness will stop, and the answer is it will never stop because they've abandoned, re- they've abandoned reason. And once you've abandoned reason, anything can be made sensible because nothing is sensible. They've decided that singular can now be plural and that if you don't concede to this, you're some kind of a brute. You're a bore. You're a bad person. You're mean. You're nasty. Well, what if I just am accurate? I am seeing a future, and I think we are already in it, but if not, it's certainly close at hand, where one can be punished for using language that is reflective of objective reality because it contradicts the progressive orthodoxy. What I mean by this is if I walk into an office and I'm like, hey, how's so-and-so doing? She, she, uh, she did great work on that last project. I could be censured. I could be punished. I could be sued. I could be fired because I didn't say they. But they is wrong. Be silent, Buck. We have the power now. We are the progressives. We are the left. We are the media. We are the Democrat Party. We are corporate culture. We are the universities. We are the school system. Be silent. In fact, And this is the truly terrifying part of all this. Silence is not enough. Complicity is not enough. They demand celebration. You are no longer able in America to say that, okay, fine, you do your thing and I'll do mine. No, no. You are no longer able to say, all right, I I concede that what you're doing is, is is a fine thing. It's just not how I would do things. No, now you're told you better express how wonderful you think something else is or else you're a problem. You better express your full-throated support for the pluralization of singular pronouns because people feel like it. Or using pronouns that are neutral, that are constructs like Z, X-E. Z wants to do this. Well, if I can be mandated and if the New York Times can be forced down on its knees, prostrate, pathetic, a bunch of whiny little nothings because they used she instead of they for a she. If that's the new reality we're in, then anything is possible. If that's the new reality we're in, then I can demand or someone can demand to be called whatever they want with the force of law and with the 
attendant force of uh, social opprobrium behind it, meaning people will just make you an outcast if you don't go along. This is the world we are in right now. It is crazy. It is wrong. And I don't mean just wrong ethically. I mean wrong as in factually wrong. They have subverted reason and replaced it with victimology, which is just a pathway for them to power, and they are already there. They are on the precipice of demanding that we speak in literally the terms they dictate for us. Or else. Or else. So you better call an actor or actress they, or else you might end up like the New York Times and having to beg forgiveness. So there's this video of a guy who's bow hunting a black bear. And it went viral yesterday. You're listening to it now in the background. And the bear is just grazing and doing what bears do. And then it turns... It turns around, and you heard it right there. And I thought that guy, when that happened was probably a goner. Uh, turns out that he was okay. It turns out that uh, the black bear knocked him down, um, but it did not really wound him. as a guy up in Canada, and uh, he his arrow was not... I actually was a licensed... Uh, uh, well, I, I took a bow hunting class when I was a kid in, in New York State a long time ago. Um, I never went bow hunting, but I did take a class on it. Uh, and, uh, that's something I did, but, uh, this guy is bow hunting a black bear. The arrow is, becomes unnotched the moment the bear turns to face him and it runs over and you see he has a GoPro on and the whole thing just, uh, the, the bear comes at him and takes a, takes a swat at him and he gets knocked down. I thought, oh gosh, this guy's going to get mauled in this video. Uh, but he, he doesn't get mauled. He, he got a little shaken up. I guess he, the bear knocked him down and then ran away pretty much. Uh, the bear was okay too. So, you know, no harm, no foul on this one. Everyone's okay. Uh, but it was a, a pretty incredible sequence. And it should me think, you know, whatever you're doing on this, uh, this holiday weekend, my friends, you know, just safety first. Okay. Um, you know, look, if you're going to be bow hunting a black bear up close, which I think it's probably out of season in most places. So obviously none of you would be doing that, but you know what I mean? If you're doing anything, uh, if you're out there on one of those inflatable things that people tubing, right. Where you get on the inflatable raft and you go on a speedboat real fast and, and all that, um, be careful, you know, especially if any of us are out there having a few drinks or anything, you don't want you don't want anything even relatively minor to go wrong on Memorial Day. You know you want to avoid sprained ankles on, on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, you don't want to be somebody who's uh, hurt themselves trying to enjoy the extra time off. So uh, anyway, I have a bear story that I, I want to tell, but I can't. This is going to be a teaser that we'll have to put a pin in for now that I will remind you of at a later time. But uh, there there is. A, a Sexton family bear story um, that I uh, would like to tell you about at some point, but 
don't have the time uh, on this Friday. One day we'll have sort of a fireside chat and I'll tell you about our own black bear experience, which I know some of you are like black bears. Those are like babies. It's like brown brown bears or grizzly bears that are, are really worth worrying about. Probably actually some of you listening are friends up in uh, Anchorage. High five. You probably know polar bears up around there too, right? Or uh, that's, I guess... I don't know. I guess polar bears, are they? I'm such, I'm, I don't know enough about bears. I know there are grizzly bears in and around Anchorage. In fact, I've heard of them being in Anchorage, but I don't know. Polar bears, I guess, would be a little further north. I don't know. I got to look that one up on whether Anchorage has a polar bear issue or not. Um, sorry for that little, uh, little lapse, guys. I, I, I gotta have more bear knowledge. Um, I just want to say have a fantastic weekend to all of you listening. I really appreciate you, uh, joining me here on the show in the Freedom Hut. Uh, check out BuckSaxon.com whenever you can. We'll be posting, uh, during the weekend and, uh, um, looking forward to joining you all next week. So have a safe, uh, happy and, um, excellent long weekend. And until next time, my friends, shields high.